Good morning, saints, and good morning, sinners. It's a delight to be with you today. Our current sermon series about community is a beautiful opportunity for us to look at different aspects of what it means to be a Christian community so we can learn more and then live into these elements in a powerful way that offers life and transformation to this world. Janet's message about love and unity and diversity was a refreshing perspective on how Christian community pursues these elements even when we don't want to. And when we do just that, lives are transformed and our relationship with Christ grows. In future weeks, we'll be looking at things like passion and purpose, identity, goodness, to name a few. But this morning, I have the wonderful opportunity to talk to you about a part of God's character and a part of Christian community that can easily and unfortunately be overlooked, undervalued, or even forgotten. I get to talk to you about something called play. But before I do, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. Amen. Take 15 seconds and think back to a time when you were most alive in your faith. What did it look like? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? Did it taste like camp food? Did it smell like sweat after a hard day during a mission trip? For me, <laughs> it smells like cigars and it looks like haikus. I'd be happy to share that story with you another day, though. <laughs> now, what does faith look like now? What does it smell like to you now? What does it taste like? Do you wish that it was deeper? Or maybe you long for the days when it felt so much more alive. Is there something missing that was there before? I don't know the answer for you. But I guess for some of us listening today, that you do feel that way, that you feel maybe empty or discouraged. I'd guess that for some, showing up on Sunday morning or tuning in is all really that you can do. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. Uh, and I want you to know that God's love uh, is never going away. Our faith is something like an Easter hunt at times. Not because it's the closest thing to the Hunger Games that we get to witness annually, uh, but because of how children engage with it versus how adults engage with it. I have two nieces and a nephew, and my parents, their grandparents, do an Easter egg hunt every year at their home. And we get to watch how they run around with excitement to find the eggs uh, where they're hidden, and put them in their basket and come together and uh, probably open one too many and have a giant sugar rush. Um, I also should note that I'm impressed at how they find a way to have everybody have the same amount of eggs in their basket because when we did it, I'm the, I'm the third of three boys, it was winner takes all, what you found was yours. But at a certain point, we outgrow this. What once was new is now old, and what was once exhilarating and life-giving can become somewhat tiresome and 
perhaps feel inappropriate. Uh, this can happen in our faith as well. And I know that many people encounter this uh, in their faith journeys. In fact, this was my reality roughly four years ago. And during this time, God spoke to me through a phone call and an invitation from a friend and mentor of mine named Dave Bindewald. He invited me into a four-month learning uh, experience with an organization called the Center for Play and Exploration. To start this learning experience, uh, the cohort or the learning group, uh, we all went and met in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And again, this was a couple years ago. And we met at some, somewhere called the Grand Concourse Restaurant, which used to be a train station. It's turned into this beautiful, beautiful restaurant. And we arrived there, we got to meet everybody. We're all Christians and we're getting to know one another. And we sat down uh, and as we were getting to know each other, we were given our first assignment for the four month learning experience. And that assignment was, you need to order anything and everything on this menu that you would like to tonight. And when you were given that assignment, we looked around and we said, what? Uh, <laughs> like." We, he said, well, you're not paying for it. You already paid for this. So you know, it's not, if you want to order everything off this menu, you should do it. And so again, we all kind of chuckled, a little nervous. And, uh, and then the waiter came. And so the, the waiter was, was saying there, can I get anybody an appetizer? And so the first person said, trying to take this advice uh, in these instructions seriously. Okay, I'll, I'll take an appetizer. Before you knew it, everybody was an app, having an appetizer ordered. Appetizer comes out and we start sharing with, with one another and enjoying it. Eight different appetizers, eight different people. And then anybody like to have a drink? Sure. Absolutely. Sounds great. And so we're getting to the main course. What can I get everyone for the main course? And we're looking and, and Dave doing his job. He's trying to egg people along. He said, well, what do you think of this one? Well, I said, well, that looks pretty expensive. I don't know if that's what I should get. And he said, well, why not? And so before I knew it, you know, people would start order and, and maybe order things that they normally wouldn't. Uh, waiter comes back around eventually, said, can I get anybody else something else to, to drink or maybe dessert? And at that point of the evening, we've been together for maybe two and a half, three hours. And we say, all right, you know, dessert sounds great. Coffee? Sure. And we end the evening and we get to know each other and we have a wonderful experience. Uh, and we went, it was a little unsettling, to be honest. So we go to sleep and we come back together the next day, different location. And, uh, and we're there after we had the chance literally to digest the food and digest the experience. And we talk about it. And Dave says, hey, well, asks the question, well, how'd that make you feel? Well, it was pretty uncomfortable. Why was it uncomfortable? Well, uh, I normally wouldn't do that. Do what? I, I wouldn't order what I ordered. I said, well, what would you normally order? He said, and I said, well, I probably wouldn't get like the cheapest thing on the menu, but I might get uh, the second cheapest thing. I might get the chicken. I wouldn't get an appetizer. I wouldn't get dessert. I'd have a lovely evening. Chicken, maybe some coffee at the end of the evening, might get a drink, right? And so, that sounds like a great time to me. And he says, well, we, we dig into that a little bit further, a little bit further. And, and he eventually comes with the punchline of this experience. And he says, here's why we're here. 
I believe that God has given us this limitless menu in life. And what we have learned to do is order the chicken every single day. Now this experience uh, shook me up a little bit, but it also shook something loose inside of me. As we were talking more, I was thinking about my own life and my own faith journey, my working inside of the church. And I, it kind of dawned on me that I think I forgot what an Easter hunt was like. And I actually think that I forgot that I was supposed to be on an Easter egg hunt. And that the way I was approaching ministry, approaching my faith, was probably more out of routine than it was curiosity. Now, I want to uh, let you know this experience, uh, although there was money involved, it wasn't about money. Uh, this wasn't about um, going and just uh, expending extravagantly. It was supposed to pull our attention to the reality that, that God has laid out in front of us, this beautiful creation that we are supposed to be interacting with, and maybe we've settled uh, for something that God hasn't intended for us. That was the beginning. Now, when we're looking at Scripture for permission to live into this reality, the best place to start is the beginning. And this is what I want you to do with your hands. I want you to go, and I want you to take your hands and put them together. I want you to point them forward. Now, if we are trying to get to Toronto, and it's this direction, and we're in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, right? And uh, we are aimed directly at Toronto. If we go and we just turn it slightly, like just two degrees, what happens? Well, if I take one step forward, I'm probably not, I'm not gonna be off course very much at all, right? If I take 10 steps forward, even 100 steps forward, I'm not gonna really be uh, off course. But once I go 100 miles, I might be over in Cleveland <laughs> when I was <laughs> trying to get to Toronto. Now that's not 100 miles, but you get the point. When we look at Genesis, uh, we and how we interpret Scripture, if we get the beginning right, then we can get everything else right. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we don't get the beginning correct, or at least as correct as we should. We might be here, but where we really need to get here to is here. Now, we looked at this Scripture a couple months back when Ben was preaching, and we observe something called the cultural mandate. And just, just a reminder that the, this mandate or command was, is found in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It's the first command that we're given by God. And what it means is that we are here for a purpose, that each and every one of us are called to cultivate, to subdue, have dominion over the creation that God has placed us in. Nancy Percy writes in her book, Total Truth, our calling is not just to go to heaven, but also to cultivate the earth. Not just to save souls, but also to serve God through our work. For God himself is engaged not only in the work of salvation, but also in the work of pres preserving and developing his creation. When we obey the cultural mandate, we participate in the work of God himself. Romans 8, 21 through 23 continues on eventually, and it talks about this, how creation groans. And I want you to listen here. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Did you hear it, right? Pains of labor, creation, experiencing labor pains. What does it mean when Paul says that creation has labor pains? Well, it starts to make sense when we start when we connect this cultural mandate and Romans, that there's this uh, reality that God came not just to save us, but to save all of his creation. And he placed us here for a purpose, right? And so we're here to develop latent potential that this good, 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 very good creation that God has placed us in for us to go and participate and to experience the restoration of all of this creation, that we have this call to do exactly that. That as we interact with creation, as we interact with others, and we discover this beauty, that we have this opportunity to experience God in new ways, to develop this latent potential, and to explore creation in ways that perhaps we either didn't think we had permission to do, or perhaps that we didn't think we should do. This conversation of play is so important. It's understanding of the cultural mandate is something that allows us to interact with our faith, not just so we can be uh, jettisoning out of here, but that we can have meaningful participation with the restoration of all things in this creation. Now, this is where the word play comes into the picture. But we need to understand what play is and what play is not. Uh, First, I think it's good to look at a distinction made from a theologian named Robert E. Neal, where he talks about the difference between what he calls a funster and a player. So a funster and a player. Neal talks about how we don't want to be funsters. And he says a funster is somebody that's uh, taking a look at creation and reality and trying to, trying to look the other way. So it's, it's five o'clock somewhere, I'm living for the weekend. Um, you know, a hard day of work comes around and instead of uh, uh, getting in there, uh, trying to dig deep, uh, gets in there a little after, um, skates by, and then right when it's time to clock out, is out of there. He says, don't be a funster. You know, this is reality. And he says, what we wanna, wanna be in, the, in a positive connotation is we wanna be a player, we wanna play. A player is somebody that takes a look at reality and asks the question, I wonder how deep it goes. Um, you know, hard day of work comes around and they wanna get in there and sniff around and see, see what, uh, what might be able to be done. Um, somebody that takes a look at, at a new element, uh, that, a part of their life, and is approaching it with curiosity. You know, curiosity-driven exploration is one of the definitions that is is meaningful to me when thinking about play. And Jürgen Moltmann is is really helpful in us understanding this. Another distinction, actually, if I were to ask you what the opposite of play is, uh, the first thing that might come to mind is work. And I would say that is not true. That the opposite of play is actually boredom. 
Now, observing how children play is one of the best examples that we can find in seeing these definitions, uh, pun intended, play out. <laughs> when a child plays, they take seriously what's in front of them, right? Just think about it. They lean in, they learn, they explore, they discover. Children know how to take play seriously. And I believe adults need to learn how to take play seriously too. We also have such a beautiful example of, of exactly this because it's been VBS, a time for children to get together to discover the good, good, goodness of God, to ask questions and experience the community of faith through play and exploration. And I, as I've th thought through this more, I'm increasingly curious about doing a deeper study uh, where Jesus says, uh, let the little children come to me. Do you remember that passage? Children were brought to Jesus so that he could pray for them in Matthew, but the disciples tried to turn them away. And he continues by saying, and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now the disciples most likely had uh, good intentions with a desire to be respectful of Jesus's position as a teacher, but as Jesus does time and time again, he changes the narrative. Now my wife, uh, she's actually a play consultant for an organization called Keystone Stars uh, for the state of PA. And because of this, I've, I've learned a lot from her about this topic of play. And increasingly, we see that actually educators understand the value of play more than most do too. And what they understand is that when students play, they learn, uh, not necessarily through formal tests or written documentation, but through play. Mr. Rogers once said, Play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning. But for children, play is serious learning. Now, do you see the connection with Neil's definition? I'd like to take this one step further. I wonder what it would look like for adults to acquire that understanding too. Now, it, this is a difficult transition for us to make because oftentimes when we think of play, we think of frivolity. We think of uh, maybe even a waste of time, something that, that we, uh, we should, would, is really only reserved for children. And in fact, uh, I, one of the distinctions between child play and adult play is that children don't need to justify their play, but adults do. Well, I'm doing this for uh, social reasons, or I'm doing this to, to let off some steam, or um, this is a hobby, so I can, you know, like, but for children, it is serious learning, right? But, but again, what would it look like for adults to take this perspective and for Christians to take that one step further and to acquire this and incorporate it into their faith walk, to be able to, to see play as a way to learn more about the community that they're a part of, uh, play to be a part of, of learning about a different aspect of God's character, to engage in community outreach in a way that they hadn't discovered or thought of before? What if play was a way for us to encounter God in ways that we hadn't imagined before? When we start viewing this as a discovery tool, uh, we start asking what it means about our faith. Is it possible that one of the reasons that our faith feels stuck is that we have forgotten to play? Pastor Matt actually texted me uh, this the other day uh, in preparation for the sermon. Uh, and the quote is this, uh, the loss of playfulness 
in a system is one of the signals of a system locked in anxiety. When we lose playfulness, our perspective narrows. In this conversation about community, we can start looking around and noticing where playfulness exists. And I'd encourage you and us um, to not only look at our church community, but at our personal lives too. You see, what it takes for playfulness to exist is safety, trust, permission, and acceptance. We need to be ready to take risks in our faith, knowing that God and the people around us are excited for this, knowing that we are discovering God and that we are leaning in, that we are seeking God's will in our lives and trusting in God's new mercies every morning. When Christians start playing, organizations like Skiers and Snowboarders for Christ start. <laughs> Schools start hosting faith zones throughout Williamsport. VBS takes place. Worship nights around the city occur. Business models change, and the joy of the Lord is known throughout the world. As Jürgen Moltmann said, God weeps with us so that we may one day laugh with him. One of the uh, most powerful stories in my life uh, where I've seen play uh, change a community and change uh, a Christian faith practice was actually in Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to be out there um, a couple years back, and I actually created something um, called a play and exploration scavenger hunt. I don't know if you can see that. And so this was a, a fun project to, uh, to put together. And the scavenger hunt is actually a scavenger hunt where you're learning uh, not necessarily about things in the community, but you're actually learning about people in the community. And uh, so there are things like uh, uh, make music um, or make art, um, learn a different fact about one of the business owners. Uh, there's different things like that and you get scored and have a good time. So I was out there, I was working with a group of Anglican priests. And uh, in the middle of the day of one of our sessions, I said, we're gonna do a scavenger hunt uh, so we can learn about more about Casper, Wyoming. And, uh, and so I gave, I separated people into teams and they all went out and they had to go and, and get as many points in the next two hours as possible. Uh, and so uh, we had a wonderful time. And one of the teams, like once we all came back, um, uh, we talked about the experience. And, uh, one of the, and this one person said, I, I need to be honest with you. Uh, when you first told us that we were doing this, uh, I thought this was the silliest thing and I begrudgingly uh, went and did it. However, however, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's a good word in the, for me. Uh, this was uh, an incredibly powerful experience because one of the uh, assignments was to play a game with someone that you had just met. And so this team, uh, they were walking throughout Casper and they actually came across a group of people that are homeless and they saw them playing kickball. And uh, so they said, hey, we, we're doing this scavenger hunt. Can we join you uh, in, and play, with, play a couple rounds with you? And they said, yeah, come on. And so they had their, you know, they had their collars on and their, uh, they took pictures of doing, uh, playing kickball. And they said they got done. They, then they ended up going and getting coffee. And then that group said, hey, where, where do you all preach? And they said, well, there's actually the church down there. And they said, yeah, we walked past it a thousand times, uh, we'll be there on Sunday. 
And I checked in with them, and they still go there this day. It's a beautiful story. It's the power of play and curiosity. You know, for the past 13 years, I've served in full-time vocational ministry in a variety of ways. And honestly, I think it's probably been in the past year or two years that I've started to gain an appropriate appreciation of the complexity of the church and Christian community. And when I say complex, I mean that in a positive way. There's a depth and a meaning and a mystery and a beauty uh, that is inside this thing that we call community. Uh, And sometimes it's hard to see, um, and sometimes we don't get to see it. But as we grow in our understanding of what it means for us to be a Christian community, uh, and subsequently we live it um, out in our lives, we start seeing dancing and laughing and crying, and we start to see people trust again when they've been hurt. We see God heal wounds that we thought could not be mended, We hear silence turn into laughter and anger turn into forgiveness. And we start seeing people playing when they were once bored. Eventually, perhaps 13 years later, we start to actually understand why the church is God's plan A for the world. And our hope throughout this series is to paint a picture of what this looks like and encourage each other to pick up a brush and add some paint of your own. So, what does it look like to give yourself permission to play? To remember that there is much more to discover. To be curious rather than all-knowing. To marvel at the mysteries of God. And delight in discovering and cultivating the latent potential in your life and before you. I have one more question. Who's ready to go on an Easter egg hunt? May the blessing of light be on you light without and light within. May the blessed sunlight shine on you like a great peat fire so that stranger and friend may come and warm himself at it and may light shine out of the two eyes of you like a candle set in the window of a house bidding the wanderer come in out of the storm. Amen.